The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and this radio program is called Shi'ar Jashub, coming to you from Shi'ar Jashub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut. Today we will be listening to the conclusion of a sermon which my husband, Pastor Greg Scalzo, delivered as part of an in-depth study series on heavenly authority. It comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, and when we left off last time, Pastor was reading from verse 32. So let's rejoin Pastor Greg. Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. I've gotten away with it. They're not going to kill me. I found favor with Saul, and he's going to let me live. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless. So you, you learn a little bit about the Amalekites. And we talked about last time in detail, why would God give such a decree to Saul, to the Israelites? This gives us some more background. Samuel knows how many innocents have been killed by the Amalekites. As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And you know, this is an old man now. Samuel's an old guy. And the power of the Lord comes upon him. And this barbaric king who has caused so much damage, who is so much like his troublemaking predecessors who came out for no reason and attacked the Israelites, that troublemaking nature that now dwells in Saul, that Amalekite nature that unfortunately dwells in each one of us, Samuel takes and hacks completely away. He hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah. They both went to their separate places where they lived. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, and here you see the heart of Samuel. Remember that little boy with that ephod? Even as an old man, even as someone tough enough to proclaim to the king of Israel, you have sinned. Even someone hard enough to take that sword and fulfill the word of God to the great enemy of Israel. You still see the childlike heart that he hides from Saul, because Saul's not going to appreciate it. That when he goes back, it says that, nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. Samuel mourned for Saul. He feels bad for Saul. His heart grieves. He remembers him as a young man. And he's seen what's happened to him. And he's not going to mourn in front of Saul because Saul will look upon it as weakness. But you see the heart of Samuel that he's crying over Saul. And how God who can anoint and who knows the beginning from the end, he knew what was going to happen, yet can still regret. And we don't understand this sometimes. But God allows for free will. God appoints God anoints based on certain criteria sovereignly which he has. And he tells us some of those things and some of the things we don't understand. But just because he chose Saul, Saul still had the free will to heed or not heed. 
And even though God knew this was going to happen, just because he has all knowledge doesn't mean he still doesn't give the opportunity for us to enact our free will and to still feel regretful that Saul should be made king. You know, there's God above time, but God is also in time. He's above us, but he's also with us. As much as he's above us, he knows the beginning from the end. But as much as he's with us, he still will work with us in time and allow us to do either for him or against him and regret it or find favor. We either please him or we cause him to regret. The fear is that there's been so many in leadership that have caused God to regret that he's calling them. Doesn't mean God didn't know what was going to happen. Doesn't mean when God told this beautiful angel in the Garden of Eden to watch over mankind that he didn't know that he would become the devil himself. But he regrets. He feels the pain. He mourns as Samuel mourns that people could go so far that spirits made in his image can go so far afield. We'll see that though Saul remains king for the rest of his life, that the Spirit of the Lord will depart from Saul. And we'll see how he gets troubled with an evil spirit and with bouts of madness. He becomes insane. Double-mindedness can lead to insanity. He's been part of the way mindful of the Lord and now much of the way mindful of himself. And so a spirit of madness comes upon him. In the next chapter, chapter 16, David will be anointed by Samuel at the Lord's command. And David will be called in. He'll play music that'll soothe Saul. And initially Saul likes David. And then he becomes jealous of David. There's an unrational jealousy and hatred. In chapter 19, we'll see that the Spirit of God contends with Saul even one more time, how the gifts and calls of God are irrevocable, it says in Romans. How when Saul, even in doing evil, is greeted by the band of prophets, he again falls down and prophesies. How there's the gift there, and yet the man's heart is so far away. Because only two chapters later, in chapter 21, he murders the priests of God because in innocence they dealt kindly with David and how he finalizes the evil path he's been on until finally afraid of the Philistines in chapter 27 with God not answering him by dream nor Urim nor prophecy rather than putting on sackcloth and ashes and repenting before God he performs the witchcraft he goes and consults the mediums whom he had had a sentence of death upon in obedience to the word of God there should be no witchcraft in Israel he then goes and consults the witch himself and finally the tragic end he's wounded in battle against the Philistines all his sons die he commits suicide by falling on his spear or his sword and we read in 1st Chronicles chapter 10 and verse 13 so Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he committed against the Lord, because he did not what? He did not keep the word of the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed 
and also because he consulted a medium for guidance, but he did not inquire of the Lord. Now, he does inquire, but God doesn't answer. But he doesn't keep inquiring. He's impatient. Remember back when Jonathan was winning the victory and he had the ark there and he heard the sound. He said, wait, withdraw your hand. And he didn't wait to receive the instructions of God. He would seek the things of God as long as it fit into his time schedule. But to seek God means you seek him even when you can't hear him. Even when he's not right there shouting in your ear, you don't give up. You say, Lord, if I've done something wrong that you've separated yourself from me, I repent. And you constantly seek God. You seek his word. You read his word. You seek the answer out in his scriptures. Saul inquired. Saul inquired like many Christians inquire. But he didn't inquire with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because maybe he didn't really want to hear what God had to say to him. And so the scriptures say he did not. He inquired of the medium, but he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. He did not keep the word of the Lord. In 2 Samuel, we read that there's a man that comes to David and tells him what happened to Saul against the Philistines. And he tells him that he finds Saul on the battlefield and Saul pleads with him to stand over him and kill him because anguish has come upon him, that he had fallen on his sword but that he still remained alive. Now, we know from 1 Samuel that Saul asked the same thing before he falls on the sword. He asked one of his soldiers to kill him, and the soldier's afraid to strike him. Saul is wounded from the battle, and the soldier's afraid of striking God's anointed, and he won't do it. But we know Saul asked him, so it's very probable that Saul asked this man. And it seems that even after Saul falls on his sword, he still doesn't totally die. Maybe God is leaving him alive for a while to just repent because he is his anointed. And Saul's looking to end it fast. And if this man can be believed, he did it. He killed him. And he took the crown that was on his head. He, he speeded his death. And when David asks who he is, he says in verse 13 of chapter 1, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. Amalek finally has victory over Saul. Saul did not totally kill Amalek. So an Amalekite is the one that finally finishes Saul. And David finishes the Amalekite. If we don't conquer the flesh, and Amalek, I've said from the beginning last week, is a type of the flesh, the type of the troublemaking, stubborn, rebellious, unheeding, disobedient nature that's inside of us. If we don't totally and utterly conquer Amalek, Amalek will conquer us. And Saul is a key example of that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your warnings. We thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us without warning, that you give us your word as guidance, Lord, to show us, to caution us, to direct us, 
Lord God, to put us on that narrow path, Lord God, into the power of your kingdom. Father, deal with the Amalekite in each of us. Slay it totally, Lord, that we might live anew, that we might be born again in the image of your Son, Christ Jesus. Put to death the flesh that we might be spiritual men and women, godly men and women, Lord, that we would read your word and seek your face and your presence, Lord God, that we would not go astray, that we would not go the way of our desires or our evil thoughts that are wrong and dishonorable in your sight, but that we would be obedient, that we would heed your voice, and that we would walk through this life as good stewards and walk into eternity into your wonderful grace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We love to hear from our listening audience, so if you have any comments or words of encouragement, please send them along to us. Also, may I ask you to prayerfully consider supporting our church's evangelical outreach. Please send all correspondence and donations to Shear Jashub Christian Tabernacle, Post Office Box 518, Branford, Connecticut 06405. We would also like to extend an invitation for you to join us for Sunday service if you will be in the Madison, Connecticut area. Shear Jashub Christian Tabernacle meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the upper room of the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Take I-95 to exit 61. Go south to Route 1, turn right, and at the next light, turn right again. Please join us for our next broadcast of Shear Jashub.